Would you turn in your Bible uh, to Matthew, the fifth chapter, where I'll be continuing the series that Pastor Steve began some weeks back. He's on vacation today, and uh, I am glad to share God's Word with you today. It's on the series uh, on the kingdom of God and experiencing and entering the kingdom of God. And of course, we're studying uh, Jesus' sermon on the mount. And Father, we ask today that you would speak to us. You say we are to discern the times and the seasons. Lord, these are critical times. These are critical seasons. And we pray, Lord, that we, as your people in the world, we're to discern, we're to see, we're to follow, we're to attune. Speak to us in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pick up on something I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to share today. Um, I know Pastor Steve shared last week on the fifth chapter. But there's a particular aspect that I would like to share today. If you go back to the first verse, it says, And when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes... He went up to a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. They were gathered there on the side of the mount, all these masses and his disciples right there. Who were the people who were sitting there, the masses that were sitting there, Longing to hear from Jesus. They were people who were hurting and hungry and they had begun to hear something that, that ministered to their souls, that began to satiate the thirsting of their souls. They were hungry to hear about this kingdom of God because they began to taste of it. They began to experience it. They wanted more. And so they would follow Him, even to the wilderness, even up on the mount. Speak to us the words, you see, of the kingdom and of life. There was a life that was coming to them through the Spirit. Jesus said things that they didn't fully understand, however. And I'd like to pick up on verse 20 because that was a particular verse that I don't believe when he said it, they understood. They wanted this life of God, the life of the kingdom. And then he says to them, for I say unto you, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom. It gave them pause to hear that. It gave them pause because they knew how hard the scribes and the Pharisees, you see, worked. They knew the burden that they carried trying to keep the law. And don't you understand that, that there were a lot of laws in their society? There was a ceremonial law with a list of things. There was a, a, a dietary law with a list of things that they were to, there was a civil law with a list of things there was a moral law with a list of things and the and the Sadducees and the Pharisees tried to follow them all and they made others guilty 
If they didn't, there were even times when they imprisoned others for not following all of the law. And you see, it probably was disconcerting at first to hear that and, and troubling until you realize two things. Here they are. Listen. One, Jesus did not want to burden them. He wanted to bless them. Can you say amen to that? He, didn't want, he doesn't want to burden us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to align in the way that leads to life and blessings of the kingdom. So He's not trying to burden them further. He's trying to bless them. These are people He wants to enter and experience the kingdom. And so that's first. And, and secondly, we need to understand that when Jesus says, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom. The, the word exceed has two definitions. <coughs> you need to do more or you need to do something different. You need more righteousness or you need a different kind of righteousness. You see, this is what Jesus was speaking of, a different kind of righteousness. For you see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were very religious, but they didn't care about people. Isn't that odd? Jesus was saying something's wrong with this picture. He was calling them up and basically saying, don't be like them. Unless your righteousness exceeds that, you're not going to enter into this. Theirs is an outer righteousness. They have the law of God, but they don't have the love of God. And then he proceeds in this chapter, the rest of it, to contrast <coughs> the Pharisees and Sadducees' outer righteousness with an inner righteousness. Verse 21, you have heard it said, you see, he, he does this over and over six times. He, he says, the outer righteousness, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you, and then he gives them a, another way, an inner righteousness. Verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, an outer righteousness, but I say unto you, an inner righteousness. Verse 31, you have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of birth. Outer righteousness, but I'm talking about an inner righteousness. He does this six times. He's trying to tell them something. The intent and the heart of God is not about being religious and an outer righteousness. It's about a heart, an intent, a righteousness in the heart. Read with me at verse 21. And you have heard it said, Jesus said that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whosoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. You see, he's talking now of an outer righteousness. All of them were familiar with this. 
But He's moving them somewhere. Hey, everybody knows. It's been taught. It's one of the commandments. You shall shall not commit murder. And whosoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. All of us here know that. But you see, He moves from the outer to the inner. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whosoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whosoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to a fiery hell. Wow! What strong word from Jesus. If therefore, and these are people he loves. If therefore, you are presenting your, alt, your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer the gift. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you might be thrown in prison. Truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you've paid the last farthing. Wow! Such harsh words. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus would actually want to shock us? Do you think Jesus would ever actually want to shock us? I'll tell you the answer. It's yes. Yes, to get our attention, absolutely, out of love for us and those beloved who are listening to, to awaken us that we might be delivered from a destructive thing, a dangerous thing, something that can destroy. And what was it? This devastatingly dangerous thing that would keep the scribes and the Sadducees out of the kingdom. Verse 20. And even make believers liable of judgment. Verse 25. And imprisonment. Verse 26. What was it? It was self-righteously holding an offense. Holding hatred and bitterness in our hearts. Oh, come on. What's so dangerous, we say, about that? Everybody, everybody does that. Yeah. Exactly. Look at the news. Have you looked at it lately? You, what's happening? It's a poison. Retribution. Anger. Vengeance. <laughs> bigger and bigger. Where can it end? It will eat us alive, says Jesus. It's dangerous. It can destroy generations and peoples. <clears throat> Could it be 
Beloved, that Jesus sees something that we in our humanness don't see. We don't see it. We don't get it. We, it. It's not clear to us. And here it is. Listen, there are two things. One, He sees that it's inevitable in a fallen world that offenses will come. Can you say amen to that? It's going to happen all the time. It's going to happen today. It's going to happen regularly. Now, that's one thing. Jesus gets that in a fallen world. It's going to be happening all the time. And the second dangerous thing combined with it is the danger of holding on to that offense. He gets it. We don't get it. He gets it. It will destroy you if you hold on to it. As the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And Lord, we pray, even now, that You'd help us to understand that being bent is not our inheritance. That's not our destiny. We're the people of God. Thank You, Lord, that You would provide, even today, supernatural grace for us. You tell us not to fall short of the grace of God. You exhort us. You warn us. Beware, lest a promise remain that any of you should fall short of it. Oh God, root it out. Would there be no root of bitterness through which many are defiled? We see it in our world, oh God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Dave Hagler. This is a true story. I don't always tell true stories. This is a true one. Dave Hagler was an umpire in a recreational league in Colorado. And it says one day he was pulled over for driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado. It could have been easily overlooked, written off. He tried to talk to the officer about giving him a ticket by telling him how worried he was about his insurance and how he normally was a very safe driver, which he was. The officer ignored him and mechanically responded, if he didn't like the ticket, he could take the matter up with the court. Dave's insurance doubled. At the first game of the next baseball season, Dave Hagler is umpiring behind the plate. And the first batter up is, can you believe it, the policeman. As the officer is about to step to the batter's box, their eyes meet with a long pause. And the officer sheepishly asks, how'd the uh, ticket thing go? Hagler said, you better swing at everything. <laughs> better swing at everything. Why? Revenge. It's sure. Now listen, beloved. It's sure. It's sure that offenses will come. They're going to come. They're just going to keep coming. What you do about them is so important. 
Why? Because it's human nature for us to want to get even. The only problem is it doesn't work. It never evens the score. It often launches us into a a merry-go-round of retribution and, and vengeance that we can't get off of. The problem with getting even is that no two people weigh the pain the same way. Will the Palestinians ever get even with the Israelis? Will the Israelis ever get even with the Palestinians? Will the Ukrainians get even with the Russians? Will the Serbs get even with the the Bosnians? Will the Crips get even with the Bloods in Los Angeles on the streets? It never happens. They can kill each other forever, but they're never going to get even. It's like a plague, beloved. It it, it builds on itself and infects and consumes. It destroys generations and unaddressed. It will consume and destroy you, says Jesus. And because He loved these disciples and those who had come, he, He wanted them to be in on the life of the kingdom. He was willing to shock them. And to tell them the truth, there's, there's an imprisonment and a judgment that we bring on ourselves if we fall short of the grace given us by God. Beware, lest the promise remain that any one of you would fall short of it. The philosophy, beloved, of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, someone said, will leave the, the whole world, what? Blind and toothless. We're so consumed that we're unable to see. We become infected if we don't keep our health up. That's why Jesus says to these who are listening, they were good Jews. He knew they would be going to synagogue he said listen when you go if therefore each week when you go and you regularly go if therefore when you go and present your offering verse 23 at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you I want you each week to be reminded to keep the slate clean because it will build up. But if you remember someone has offense against you or you have offense against someone, go first. That's the priority. And then come and offer your offering. In 1 John it says, How can you... Say you love God who you haven't seen and, and, and you hate a brother who... who, who ha- He's saying to them, look, I, I don't want you bringing an offering to me when you have raka in your heart. When you have hatred in your heart. The word, literally, it's not translated in many Bibles. It's just raka. And it's an Arabic word, I'm told, that that means literally to spit in your face. How can you spit in someone's face and then come and offer worship to God? 
I don't want your worship when your heart is not right, when there isn't an inner righteousness. The word righteousness has to do with being rightly related to God and man. Not just God, but God and man. Because if you're not rightly related to man, you're not rightly related to whom? If something's out of whack, now you may say, well, what if I go and they won't forgive? The Bible says, as much as it concerns who? Be at peace with all men. You do your part. Their response is there before God. Their, their responsibility. But we are to keep our hearts right, says the Lord, before God. Raka. It's basically, you're, it's, in this context, it's translated basically you're making a final and binding judgment on someone else. If you say, Raka, that's just who they are and what they are, and I'm putting myself up as the judge and judging them. It's a final binding judgment. If you're guilty of that, says Jesus, you're in danger of a fiery hell. Now, why would he say something that dramatic? Because when you judge someone at that level, with the measure you give what? You're setting, you're binding yourself to a judgment that you can't help but receive. By the grace of God, that won't happen to us. Perhaps you're struggling to forgive someone today who's hurt you. It may have been... Yesterday, it may have been long ago, but it's still there and you can't forget it. You didn't deserve it. And it's like a pain that won't go away. A friend betrayed you. A parent abused you. A spouse betrayed or left you. Our sense of fairness tells us that people should pay for what they do. A woman hopes that her former husband will be miserable with her new wife, his new wife. That's very human. A man hopes that a friend who betrayed him in business will lose his job. Totally natural for us to react that way. But passive or aggressive in our judgments, beloved, hate, hurt turns to hate. And hate is malignant. It's malignant. It festers. It grows. It kills joy. It threatens our health. It hurts the hater more than the hated. Can you say amen to that? It's hurting you more than it's hurting them. It must be cut out. But how? Not for their sake, but for our sake, it must be cut out. 
I'd like to share first what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You and I, beloved, cannot wait on a feeling. The copier didn't work back there, so I, 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 I'm showing you how high tech I am. <laughs> Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a commandment to obey the higher wisdom of God regardless of your feelings. My wife was recently in the Amish country and she came across a one-room schoolhouse that many of you may remember was on the news in October of 2006 where a deranged gunman shot ten defenseless schoolgirls, killing five. I wanted to read something out of an article. Charles Roberts was a milk truck driver who serviced the local community, including the farms of some of the victims' families. Nine years earlier, his wife gave birth to a first child, a baby girl. However, the baby died shortly thereafter. Apparently, his daughter's death affected him greatly. He never forgave God for her death and eventually planned to get Revenge. On the morning of October 2nd, Roberts entered the schoolhouse and ordered the adults and the boys to leave. Roberts told the girls he was sorry for what he was about to do, but he was angry at God and he needed to punish some Christians. When the state police arrived, Roberts ordered them to leave the property or he would shoot. He told the girls, I'm going to make you pay for my daughter. One of the girls, Marion, 13 years old, said, shoot me first. Her sister, Naomi, said, I'll be next. When the police broke into the school... Two of the girls, three of the girls, including Marion, were dead. Naomi died in the arms of a state trooper. The Amish responded. With forgiveness. You may have to wait just a second. I'm going to read what the reporter said, if I can find it. One one minute.
Don't you love technology? may not come up, but I'll I'll paraphrase it. He said that the... He said that the... The Amish, that very day, they didn't call a press conference with their lawyers present. They didn't accuse... They didn't rant and rave. But that very day, not the next day, they went to the house of the killer and reassured his wife of their forgiveness. They went to the house of the mother and father of the killer and they reassured him and th- not only it was a group of them one of the parents had lost two children and they said we know of your pain and we want you to know we forgive you we love you don't leave the community Eight years later, that mother of the killer goes every week to minister to a paraplegic girl who was shot by her son. She's done it for eight weeks, eight years, every week. Power. Where does it come from? The writer of the secular writer of the article said, Where does it come from? We know it comes from God. It's a provision that God gives because revenge and vengeance is what is natural. We have to. Have the grace of God. We mustn't fall short of the grace of God. It's there. It's a provision. It will help us, but we must call on it. Lest there's a promise. But beware, lest any of us fall short of it. We have to have that grace, beloved, in this fallen world. Why? Because offenses... They're going to come. So forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a commandment to obey God and the higher wisdom of God, regardless of our feelings. It does not depend on their asking for it or even deserving it. God tells us and commands us to forgive in a higher wisdom because He doesn't want our judgments and unforgiveness to bind us to the very One who abused us. Can you say amen to that? 
He doesn't want to, us to be bound to the accused, the abuser, nor does he want to give place to the accuser. Forgiveness is not condoning what they did. Forgiveness doesn't release them from what they did. It releases us from what they did. Forgiveness is not trusting the offender. Sometimes those who wound us should not be trusted. On the other hand, God can rebuild trust. Forgiveness is given because it's commanded. Trust must be rebuilt. It's earned. And finally, forgiveness is not relieving the person of their responsibility. We forgive them. A former husband may be forgiven for destroying a marriage with an affair, but he still is responsible to pay child support. We're responsible. Forgiveness doesn't release us from our responsibility. I'd like to end with a personal example. In my life, <laughs> I wish it was a good example, it's a bad example, of when I didn't forgive, and I should have. I was very deeply hurt at one time in my life. Very, very, very deeply hurt, as many of you have been. And when you love somebody and you're hurt in that deep a way, it's a wound, sometimes greater than a physical wound. And I couldn't seem to get over it. I became, because I was hurt, I became angry and then bitter. And I did not do what I preached. I did not give it up. I held on to it. I wrestled with it. For an entire year, I was in a prison, as Jesus said. A self-imposed prison. I put myself in that prison because I fell short of the grace of God. And it was tormenting me. And I was depressed and hurting. And I wouldn't listen. That may be where you are today. And I pray you will hear the word of God. I was driving in my car in that tormented, hurting, depressed state. And God spoke to me. I don't say that lightly, but in my spirit I heard God say, in my spirit, what keeps a fish on the hook? I thought to myself, that is really the way I feel. I feel like... I've been hooked in the jaw and it's festered and it's hurting and it can't come out. God knew my need and He spoke to it out of His 
great grace and mercy. He said, what keeps a fish on the hook? And I thought about it for a while. And I realized what keeps a fish on the hook is the barb. And God brought to my understanding, you know, it may be 90% of their fault. The whole hook, 90% of it is uh, this other thing. But it's your 10% and my 10% that keeps us on the hook. It's my not being willing to confront my hurt and my hate and my, uh, my part, my self-righteousness, my judgment that's actually tormenting and keeping me on the hook. And I cried out to God. It rent my heart that God would find me and speak to me. And I repented. I'd like to say instantly I was healed. It was a process. But that very day, I was let out of prison. Because I owned, I confronted my hurt and my hate. I owned my part. And I was 100% responsible as you are for your part. If you don't see your part, keep looking. It's there. It's keeping you on the hook. And finally, and I'll close with this. I got the revelation. That God is the judge, not me. He didn't say, vengeance is yours. He said, vengeance is... I I, I finally got the fact that when I make a binding final judgment on anybody, it binds me to them. And by the grace of God, I'm saying, Lord, in, not as an act now of forgiveness, but as a lifestyle of forgiveness, Lord, you're going to have to be their judge. And here's the point. He will be. Don't be deceived, for God is not balked. For whatsoever a man sow, also shall he reap. God will be judge. We're not to be judge. And so, Father, I even ask now, as we take just a minute before we close, ask you, Lord, to examine our hearts and see if there be any hurtful way in us. See, oh God, look at my heart, said King David, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Who can discern his own errors, he said. Lord, acquit me of my hidden fault. I see there sin. But Lord, it's my sin that's keeping me on the hook. So Father, I ask during this quiet time, we're just going to reflect for a few moments as this song goes on. Is there anyone who we are holding offense toward or judgment who we become bitter with God we pray 
Together, we pray for each other. We pray for grace. You've promised that You've made provision. We pray we'd not fall short of it. For though there's a promise, beware lest any one of you should fall short of it. Let's allow God to minister to us before Him. crisis of our will our will or your will and Lord we know it's a process but these are 
important times, O oh God. May we discern the season. May we be found agreeing with you, flowing with you, experiencing your kingdom despite the rancor and the hatred of the world. Oh God, have mercy on us. This world needs a light. It needs an alternative. May they see it in us. May they see it in us. Seal in our heart this word, Lord. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a personal privilege. I want to invite you, if you are interested in a process of healing or to walk through a process of of forgiveness we do it every Tuesday night in Celebrate Recovery it's not the only place you can do it you can do it with a prayer partner you can do it with a pastor you can do it with a counselor don't put it off because it's it's active and we thank you Lord that you're doing something active that's greater. Give that grace in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I'd like you to stand, if you would, and share the love and the peace of God with somebody around you. Perhaps you don't know them. Introduce yourself. Take a minute. Share God's peace and God's love with somebody. Would you do that?